And one of the most important things is to recognize that this is going to take time. This is not a process that you can just rush through. It's a process of actually changing people's minds, which requires time. I think we had a brief discussion before we started recording saying, you know, sometimes it's just time on the calendar and you, the, the thing that is very difficult is to change your mind in the moment. But if somebody presents new evidence and a new way of thinking and you take a day to go away, get a good night's sleep, keep thinking about it and turning it over to your mind, it's easier to come back and say, you know what? I thought about it and I've changed my mind. So welcome to Blitzscaling uh, Yourself. I'm Julian Newman. Uh, I'm here with Chris Yeh. Chris is a venture capital investor. Uh, he has his own fund. Um, and uh, Chris is mostly famous for being the co-author of the book Blitzscaling. Uh, Blitzscaling was co-authored with uh, the founder of LinkedIn. The introduction is written by Bill Gates. It's the, part of the core curriculum at Princeton, Harvard, Yale. Uh, welcome, Chris. Julian, it's great to see you. Just back from the Middle East and just getting ready to take off again. So I'm glad we're able to squeeze this in. We, the topic we're talking about today is, you know, what do you do when employees start to uh, lose faith? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that happens to, uh, you know, everybody uh, or every business. Um, you were actually discussing this with uh, your co-author and friend, uh, Reed Hoffman, on the Greylock podcast. Uh, as part of another episode, which I uh, highly encourage uh, everyone to go listen to. But the, 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 so, so this is something that happens a lot. It's just something that, that happens to all businesses, something you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about. Um, and uh, what, what, uh, what have you learned, I guess, from Reed um, about how this comes up and how often it comes up? So one of the key things I've learned from Reed and this has happened many times, is how to think about things in a rigorous way and with a specific framework in mind. And this is sort of like the meta lesson on being Reed Hoffman, which is always have a theory about everything. Because if you're just going through life, operating on gut feel, responding to stimuli, then you're really not going to get anywhere. If you want extraordinary results, you got to behave differently. And with Reed, in the context of this question, It really boils down to how does a person lose faith? They lose faith if they no longer believe in their their investment thesis for working at that company. And it's important to distinguish between their investment thesis as a human capital investor versus the overall investment thesis for the business itself as a financial investor. Because even though a company might succeed financially, it doesn't mean it will be successful for the person who is an employee at that company, probably will, but maybe not completely. And conversely, you can be an employee at a failing or failed company and still get tremendous value out of it along the way. So those two investment theses are different. The whole point about an employee losing faith in the company is you have to ask yourself, okay, number one, what is this employee's investment thesis for being at the company? What do they think they're going to get out of it? How are they going to be successful? What has to go right and what has to happen in order for that investment thesis to be proven correct? And the second thing is, are they correctly interpreting the evidence and accurately evaluating what that evidence means for the investment thesis? 
So for example, let's say you have an investment thesis where I am going to work at this company because it will give me greater opportunities to display skills in areas X, Y, and Z. And that will make me more valuable in the marketplace. And then that person begins to lose faith. And the question is, okay, what element of that investment thesis is going wrong? Is it the notion that I am learning skills X, Y, and Z in this job? Is it skills X, Y, and Z are no longer considered valuable in the marketplace? What is it that is breaking that theory? And only by being explicit about it with that particular employee can you actually figure out what's going on. Most of the time, we skip over this. We just start presenting evidence for why we think the company is going to succeed. You don't even know if that's the reason why the person's losing faith. You have to first ascertain what their investment thesis is, and only then can you take the necessary steps to evaluate that thesis and evaluate how they're looking at the evidence. That feels really insightful because like, when these situations come up, they're presented as being something about you and about the business when like everything in the world, they're actually not, they're about the employee and about themselves and about their situation. Um, so how would a, you know, typical and, you know, well-executed conversation uh, with a uh, employee or team member, uh, you know, function? So I guess you'd start by saying, Hey, um, what is your investment thesis on why you're working here? Yeah, so I would go even further back. So conveniently enough, Reed and I and our other mutual friend, Ben Kaznoka, wrote a book called The Alliance that was all about this, that said, essentially, if you're managing an individual, you should sit down with them and work out a tour of duty that very clearly expresses what the benefits are to them how they are going to accelerate their career by taking on this particular mission and by accomplishing it successfully. So in the event that you had already read the Alliance and been working with your employees that way, it would be very simple to say, let's revisit your tour of duty. Let's figure out if you're still on the right mission. Let's figure out if this mission is going to drive the benefits in terms of career acceleration that you signed up for. But assuming that you hadn't already read this wonderful book, and implemented some amazing book. ideas, thank you, then you would still start off by saying, again, not necessarily using the jargon of investment thesis, that's just the way we simplify it for ourselves, say, listen, when you came and joined this company, there were reasons why you did that. Right? There was something you're looking to get out. It's not just about the salary. You're a talented person. You can find work in any number of places. But there's a reason you picked this particular job as being a good fit for what you wanted to do. So help me understand what were those objectives, what were those things and be the benefits that you thought you were going to be able to get, and what's changed? And now you've set it up in the right context, and you have the opportunity to find out, most importantly, what has changed from the time that you first accepted. And part of the conversation will end up being, well, I what's changed in part, is that I don't feel this company is going to work out for, or this is happening that makes me feel that this is not going to work out. Right. And presumably, you need to try to extract from that, you know, more explicitly, why they think it's not going to work out, or like what, what they think working out means. Right. 
And I think you then say, well, help me understand your mental model for how this company succeeds. What do you think needs to happen in order for this company to be successful? Why are those things the important things? And they can help explain it to you. And you could say, listen, I've got my own thesis about how all this works. I'm happy to share that with you, but I want to understand how you think about it first. And then what you can do once you understand their thesis, you could say, well, my thesis is a little bit different. Let me explain some of the differences and why I believe what I believe. And you can decide for yourself, do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Does it affect the way you think about it at all? And then after that, you could say, okay, well, let's talk about the evidence. You said that this was happening and this led you to this conclusion. Um, first, let's discuss whether or not this is actually happening. And then second, let's figure out what the right conclusion to draw is. And as long as you proceed in a good faith process, right, which means it's not that you are going to, in a Pollyanna-ish way, always argue for exactly what you want, but rather you would acknowledge, hey, you know what? You're right. This product launch didn't go that well. And we can tell because the number of engaged users coming out of it is much lower than we projected. And yeah, I can see why this would cause you to doubt. And this is in the context of this overall thing that needs to happen in order to succeed. Now, I happen to think that we can take another attempt at it and actually make this succeed. And here's why I think it will work. But you don't say that before you first acknowledge that the reason they're feeling uncertain or the reason they're feeling like this isn't going to work is due to some good reasons. It may not be that you fully agree, but they're not crazy for thinking it. So one of the things that's really smart about your approach to this is that you start by outlining the, you know, the investment thesis. So like, why, what are the things, what does success look like for this person? How do they think they're going to achieve success? And then you start talking about the evidence that leads them to believe they won't be successful. Um, most people probably do the opposite or even never uh, address the first part. So they just go into like, hey, what do you think is going wrong? Oh, yeah, you're, you're, that doesn't matter for X, Y, Z reason. Right. What is the power of, you know, separating those two parts of the conversation? The power is being perceived as someone who is proceeding in good faith with their interests in mind. This is the notion of empathy, seeking to understand rather than just trying to persuade all the time. And one of the things I've done in my career is I've carefully cultivated, not just because it's useful, because I believe it's the right thing to do, the reputation of being someone who's going to deal with everyone fairly and who's going to call it like it is. That makes it much easier for me to work with people and say, well, let's examine what you're thinking. They know that it's not just that I'm going to try to persuade them of whatever I believe, whether or not it's right or wrong. It's that I'm going to give them a fair shake and I'm going to follow a process that is reasonable. And hopefully they'll view it as a fair process and one that they can ultimately trust the results of. So what you're doing here is saying, hey, why, what did you think you were going to get out of this, like working here? And, you know, how did you think that was going to happen? And, okay, how did you think we were going to be successful? Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how, do you, how did you envision that playing out? Like, what are the characteristics of, the, 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 of what, you know, a successful path looked like for us as a business? And then what has happened to make you doubt that these things will happen? And, 
you need to do that in good faith. And part of doing that in good faith is that it's to acknowledge that this person might actually be right. So maybe that they shouldn't be working for your business anymore. It may be that your business shouldn't be uh, operating anymore. In fact, in the example, uh, in, in what you were discussing uh, with Reed Hoffman and your, your podcast with him, he was giving an example of this and it was from his first business, SocialNet, which was not successful. So presumably the executive at SocialNet who doubted whether SocialNet would, be, would work out was correct and Reed was wrong. Um, so like part of the equation here is to uh, you know, go into it with an open mind and with the, you know, accepting that this person may be correct. Um, and you have to balance out the fact that you, you need conviction yourself. So how do, you, right. how, how do you play that balance? Well, the key is your conviction is based on evidence. Your conviction is based on a well-stated, very clear thesis with evidence to back it up. And if, in fact, you discover that your evidence is incorrect or there's alternative evidence, then you try to modify that thesis. There is no virtue in sticking with the same thesis after it's been disproven. I know that in the world of politics, which you came from, in America, you could get called a flip-flopper for changing your mind. And I think that the key to tackling that head-on is saying, look, when the evidence changes, I change my mind. I had this evidence and I believed that. Now I have a different evidence and I believe it differently. Look, if you want someone who's never going to change their mind, regardless of whether they're right or wrong, you come to the wrong place. I want to focus on being right. And being right doesn't mean what I believe. It means what the evidence tells us. And presumably there are conversations you have with employees where what they tell you may feel persuasive well, feel not persuasive, but you don't actually know how they're wrong uh, yeah. in the moment. And in that type of situation, it might be fine to say, hey, you know what? I heard what you said. I, 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 I understand what you mean, but let me think about it before I react to it. And, you know, be able to engage with them, like give yourself the time, be able to engage with them, you know, in an intellectually uh, coherent manner. And one of the most important things is to recognize that this is going to take time. This is not a process that you can just rush through. It's a process of actually changing people's minds, which requires time. I think we had a brief discussion before we started recording saying, you know, sometimes it's just time on the calendar and you, the, the thing that is very difficult is to change your mind in the moment. But if somebody presents new evidence and a new way of thinking and you take a day to go away, get a good night's sleep, keep thinking about it and turning it over to your mind, it's easier to come back and say, you know what? I thought about it and I've changed my mind versus in the moment that someone lays an argument, you think about it for 15 seconds, say, you're right. I'm changing my mind. By the way, that's not even satisfying for them because they'll doubt that the, the, the change will actually stick. So taking the extra day to figure it out, that's actually beneficial to both sides. Okay, here we're talking about this as if the person is coming to see you and saying, hey, CEO, yeah. I have doubts about whether this business is going to work out. Okay, 
that, that would be great. But in real life, uh, I think a lot of people have doubts about whether the business is going to work out or whether yeah. the business is a fit for them. Uh, and they don't talk to you about it. And that doesn't mean that they don't have the doubts. It doesn't mean that you don't know that they have doubts. Um, so what do you do in the much more common situation where your team members have doubts about the business's prospects and they don't tell you? Right. So there are a couple things. The first is that you should be frequent in stating your investment thesis for the company and making sure that you are always articulating, here's why we're going to succeed. Here's what needs to happen along the way. So that no matter what, they definitely understand what your investment thesis is. They may disagree with it, but there's no way they're wondering what you're thinking. That is the first step. But then beyond that, you can use your eyes and ears and observe. You can tell when someone's heart isn't in it. It's usually pretty obvious. And the question becomes, okay, what are the benefits of really speaking with this person directly versus when do I want to ignore it and let things roll along, even if they're not necessarily moving in the right direction? And it boils down to the situation around you. It can be a question of, do I have someone else who can step into that breach and fill that role? Or is this really the only person I have to work on this, in which case I need them to keep going, at least for the time being, even if they're less efficient than they could be? Or another thing would be, you might say, well, you know, what are the knock-on effects? If this person continues to behave in this way, what's its impact going to be on other people within the organization? And that's something that people often overlook. They think and focus on the individual employee and what's going to happen with them. And, you know, you know, do they have a job? Do they not have a job? And they forget that it has impact on the other employees. Your other employees, especially the ones who are not causing problems, but rather are delivering, are going to look and say, okay, are we coddling the people who don't deliver? Are we ignoring the people who are actually good at the company in favor of the people who aren't? Maybe I should find a different company, one that values people who are actually high achievers and who are with the program. So here you have an employee. This employee has doubts about the business and you need to decide what to do about it. And, and really you want to look at the situation and identify the path forward, which is the most favorable to the business. Right. That, that's what it comes down to. Um, there's one type of person uh, who you probably almost always want to address this with, which is people who manage a lot of other people. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about why those people are so important um, and, and, and so unique? Absolutely. Human beings are emotional creatures. We may think of ourselves as rational, but at the end of the day, we need emotion. And emotion is contagious. So if somebody is managing a large number of people, then their emotions are going to spread to those people. This happens at every organization. This is why founders play such a disproportionate role at the company, because their emotions end up influencing others. When you have someone who is an important person at the, at the company who manages a lot of other people and whose people manage even more people, then if they're losing faith, if they're doubting what's going on, if they're feeling like this is hopeless, that feeling of hopelessness is going to spread. And you definitely don't want that to happen. You want to confront that head on 
and make sure if in fact that person is no longer capable of providing leadership that you find someone else to do it or do it yourself. So just to recap everything we talked about, people will lose faith and um, that's just something that happens. Often people lose faith and they will not tell you, and, but you will still know. In those situations, if it doesn't, if it, like, there are many of those situations where it is most favorable to just ignore, ignore it. So take note, know that that's the case, but do nothing about it. Um, but there are other situations where you do need to do something about it. Often that's, you know, people who are, uh, you know, managing other people who will like drive them down. Often that's, you know, when people actually bring it up and tell it to you. And in those situations, what you need to do is, you know, listen, understand their perspective, understand the framework they're using uh, to come to this conclusion, understand the evidence, and actually think about it, actually consider it, and uh, be thoughtful in how you engage with them. Exactly. We describe this in terms of management terminology as being able to do perspective taking to walk a mile in other people's shoes, to see the world as they see it. Because only by going to them can you then say, only when they perceive that you correctly perceive the way they perceive the world, can you then offer alternate explanations. Because until you've proven that you can understand them, they're certainly not going to listen to you saying, here's why you should change your mind. And as we discuss the importance of, um, you know, trying to, understand the other perspective and really think about them that just feels so exhausting to me and um i it totally reinforces the that that sometimes you just want to ignore the problem uh it, when you can because you can't you, there are just so many things that you can deal with in a specific day yeah and again this day. is why this is why it's so important to hire carefully because you can see very easily, oh, this person can help with all this additional work. But you often underestimate how much of your own time will be consumed in keeping that person productive. And the capable but high maintenance player may not be actually useful in a situation where you are short on time and you're not going to be able to do the things that are necessary to keep them productive. So, Chris, thank you for the time. Thank you to our team, uh, Jeremy, Schloke, and Brendan, who make all this possible. Thank you for uh, the people who uh, joined our live stream and uh, everyone who is listening uh, to the recorded version. Uh, thank you for spending 20 minutes with us. Uh, you obviously have a lot of uh, other potential uh, podcasts that you can uh, be listening to. So we appreciate you uh, spending this time with us. And uh, if you want to see more, get more insight from Chris like this, please like uh, this video, if you're on YouTube, or subscribe uh, to the podcast so that you can uh, uh, learn from Chris like I am. Yeah. And I'll look forward to yet another such learning session after I get back from South Korea.